This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Sometimes I look at the prices I'm paying at the grocery store, or the way my electric bill is skyrocketing. And I wonder, how did we get here? Here being this very weird economy, whose chief feature at the moment seems to be ballooning inflation. It does not help that I have a car, and that car needs gas. It is nearly five bucks a gallon where I live. It's the only price that every single American sees a sign for on every stretch of every highway, right? Like, it's the most it's the most omnipresent price that, that Americans regularly encounter, except for maybe milk. No, even more so than milk. There aren't, there aren't highway signs with milk prices. Slate's Jordan Weissman is the guy I call when I have questions about the economy. And I've got a ton of those at the moment. I feel like there are so many things happening at once in the economy right now. Like housing prices are really high. The stock market is behaving erratically. And of course, inflation is like yes. all around. Do all these things have the same cause? Um, that is a interesting question. I'm, I, that, that's a kind of a philosophical question. Um like, like <laughs> you know how I do, Jordan. <laughs> you know, it depends on how you want to answer that question. I'm going to say no, um, but you could say yes. <laughs> All right, depends on depends on how you want to look at it. Jordan is like the Marie Kondo of the economy. By that, I mean he loves mess. What he sees right now, it's certainly messy, a pileup of causes and effects that are not easy to tease out. In my mind right now, the way I think about inflation is like sort of two phases, right? And if you go back to like 2021, where, right, that, that spring and summer when prices first started to surge, it actually seems like it was a pretty simple story of what was happening, which is that like we just gave, cut people big checks and they spent them. And they're, as a result, and at, they spent them at a time that supply chains weren't, you know, were a total mess and they were not ready to absorb all that demand. And now it's sort of evolved, right? We've gone through months and months and months of, you know, what was known as the Great Resignation, right? And what was the Great Resignation? It was people basically quitting their jobs and going to find work elsewhere where they would get paid more. And as that pushed up wages, um, that probably also pushed up prices some. You're drawing a picture of a very complicated origin story for the inflationary moment we're in right now, which just makes me wonder if the origin story is so complicated is there an easy fix or is the fix really complicated too? Well, is it, do you want an easy fix or a painless fix? <laughs> that's sort of the issue. Oh. Yeah, right. That's sort, of, that's sort of the distinction here. Does fixing the economy have to hurt? It depends who you ask. Today on the show, what the path out of this very weird economy looks like. 
I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To figure out how to fix the economy, you first have to figure out who is going to fix it. You could say the president should do it. A lot of people have. But Jordan Weissman says... There just isn't a lot Biden can do here. The administration has considered making goods cheaper by instituting a gas tax holiday or lowering tariffs on imported goods. Biden's team has also talked about making it harder for Americans to spend by restarting student loan payments, which were suspended because of the pandemic. But all these ideas have plenty of downsides. There are some bright minds in that administration, and they haven't come up with anything that great. It's just there aren't great options for a president acting on his own. It's notable to me that when he wrote, when Biden wrote his plan in the Wall Street Journal, like, here's my plan to fight inflation. He's like, first thing, this is the Fed's job. (laughs) You know, he's like, number one, it's not me. It's that guy. Number two, I got a bunch of other stuff I'm trying, but like refer to number one, please. Yeah. Number point one. Let let me introduce you to my buddy, Jerome. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Jerome's a great guy. He's got great hair. Um, (laughs) Love that guy. Love that guy. Jerome is Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve. And the Fed has exactly one tool to fight off inflation, interest rates. Raising interest rates makes it more expensive to borrow money. Everyday people become less likely to make big purchases like houses or cars. The cost of doing business goes up, too. It throws ice-cold water on inflation. It's not like a precision-guided missile to deal with inflation, right? Like, it's more like a big, dumb bomb like that like kills the whole economy, right? Like, that's sort of what, like, playing with interest rates is. It's like you're blowing up the whole economy in order to deal with this one problem um, that comes from a complicated set of issues. But it's, like, the tool that's available and easiest to use. I mean, last month, the Federal Reserve had what you described as an exceptionally unusual meeting. It sort of, it was the crescendo of... Jerome Powell for a couple of months basically saying, like, I need to control prices. I really need to get across that. And then he he got together with his advisors. Can you describe what happened and and what made it stand out so much in your mind? Yeah. So I want I want to preface this by this. This was a big deal. Like what happened at this last meeting was was big news, not just for economic nerds. No, but for everyone. So here's what happened Um, for a long time while the Fed had been signaling that it was going to raise interest rates at this meeting by half a percentage point. And then there was this kind of unexpectedly bad inflation data that Friday, and that was the consumer price index, and it came in a lot higher than people thought it was going to. And then on top of that, there were signs in some consumer surveys that people were beginning to expect higher inflation in the future, right? And that's a big deal to monetary policymakers. And that's because the thinking goes that once people start to expect prices to rise, then prices will rise. That's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because businesses will raise their prices. People will expect, you know, the cost of gas or food or, you know, 
you know, rent to go up. And so they'll ask for higher raises and it kind of becomes a spiral. It becomes runaway. Yeah. And so everyone's been sort of expecting this one thing and, you know, this half a percentage hike. And then at the last minute, all of a sudden, this story comes out in the Wall Street Journal that Monday. And it's like, the Fed's now thinking about raising interest rates 0.75 percentage points. They're going to go a quarter of a percentage point higher. And everyone's like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like that sort of, there's a freak out. Like, holy heck, they're going 0.75. They're not doing 0.50. But why? Isn't it the obvious move? The Fed likes to signal what it's doing way ahead of time so that people can kind of uh, set their expectations and then behave accordingly. And the idea is that you want business owners and workers and, and everyone in the economy to kind of trust you. You're saying the Fed is like being in the car with your grandma. Like she's signaling that turn like a full block ahead. But then all of a sudden, the Fed was like pulling a U-turn in the middle of the street. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> that was sort of the feeling. It's like, <laughs> oh, God, like what? what's what's Grandpa Jerome doing? Like, oh, God. And so it also it signals that like, oh, yeah, these guys are kind of, you know, like they got spooked. And so that they, they needed to like take more drastic action. Um, and, you know, the Fed likes to look like it's sort of in control and knows what's coming. And so when it makes a last minute decision like that, it, it's a signal that, OK, maybe not everything was under control. And so they ended up raising by 0.75 uh, percentage points. It was the biggest single move they've made in, you know, essentially three decades. Wow. And their their projections suggested that unemployment was going to finally rise a bit like above a little bit above four percent. And for a long time, they'd been sort of suggesting that they wouldn't have to raise unemployment at all. And now suddenly they're admitting, OK, it's going to have to go up a bit, not like a lot, but a bit. And so some of the questions around that press conference had to do with whether or not the Fed was planning to try and essentially plunge the U.S. into a recession, um, which is something the Federal Reserve has done in the past. Powell's answer to this was really interesting. Um, I wrote a story about it. It was basically he said, no, we're not trying to induce a recession. That is not our goal. We are hoping to achieve what they call a soft landing, which means, you know, get inflation down with minimal amounts of pain, like, you know, you're gently landing the plane. But didn't he say we're not trying to induce a recession now? Well, he said we're not trying to. <laughs> induce, he said, but there's the, there was a but. He said, we're not trying to in, induce a recession. However, and this is this is what he got into. He, he made very clear that the most important thing, the thing they absolutely had to do was defeat inflation. They had to lower inflation. And what that kind of made clear to everyone listening was that the Fed isn't going to try to bring on a recession, but they're also not going to try and avoid one unless they've gotten inflation under control. So I'm not trying to induce a recession, but, uh, you know, it might be a side effect. Yeah, it's like it might happen. Like, you know, we can't we can't we don't want one to happen. We can't guarantee it's not going to happen. And, you know, the Federal Reserve has a history of doing this. Once inflation has gotten out of control historically, once it gets above like four or five percent, the Fed has never really managed to bring it back down closer to its target without creating a recession. It just hasn't really happened. The most famous case where the the, the Fed decided to go all out to fight inflation was Paul Volcker in the 1980s, right? Or he, he basically just triggered a double dip recession by hiking interest rates so, so high to finally, finally get a hold of inflation. And he said outright, you know, at the time that he thought that living standards in America needed to decline in order to deal with this problem, um, which was, I mean, it's almost impossible to imagine someone saying that outright today. But back then you could get away with it. Um, that's not what Powell is saying. He's not saying, OK, we, we need to, you know, trigger one of these. We, but he's not, not not saying it. But he's saying like, it. He's like, it might not be avoidable. We don't know. Why? Is it this choice 
between jobs and inflation? Why are we on this seesaw? I, I think an economist would say is that there's just a trade-off, right? There's traditionally a trade-off. The lower unemployment goes, the higher inflation tends to go in the short term, right? And it's for the pretty simple reason that workers can, you know, bargain for higher pay. What a lot of people will say now is that it's not really appropriate to think about inflation that way because there are so many supply chain issues that are fueling it, right? Yeah, that's what I see. Everything from war in Ukraine to things like semiconductors that are still lingering. It basically seems like we've given Jerome Powell the job of fixing this thing that has so many different causes, some of them which are completely out of his control. Yeah, I mean, and he will say that, right? <laughs> like he does, he's like a little salty about that. Um, but like <laughs> I would be too. During a recent congressional hearing, he was asked, like, do we really need high unemployment to bring down inflation? It does seem that American workers are not primarily responsible for the inflationary issues that we're seeing today. Um, but despite this, we are seeing some comments from individuals like former U.S. Treasury Secretary uh, Lawrence Summers earlier this year said that in order to contain inflation, the U.S. needs five years of unemployment above 5% or one year of 10% uh, unemployment. Do you agree with that assessment? So I, I understand how that number can be uh, arrived at or derived, but um, I, I think there's so much uncertainty. And in particular, the, the, um, that the answer is going to depend to a significant extent on what happens on the supply side. If we, if we do get these supply side problems uh, worked out, which I think is certainly going to happen in time, then, then, uh, then, then you wouldn't see anything like that. But I, it's a highly uncertain time. So that's his view. Is like there still are these supply chain issues that if only they would sort of just untangle themselves a bit, he would have less to do on his side in order to control this problem. But what if that much more bleak economic prediction is the right one? When we come back, considering one of Jerome Powell's toughest critics... There are some people who look at what Jerome Powell's saying here, which is like, we can have a soft landing. Maybe we don't have to push unemployment super high to fix the economy right now. And they just say, that's bullshit. Ah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, you're talking about Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, particularly Larry Summers, Yeah, who we should probably do a little explaining who Larry is, but... I think it's important to know that he kind of wanted to be Fed chair. So he's doing a little bit of the like, if I had the job, I'd do it differently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he's also slightly notorious because he basically predicted the U.S. would have this inflationary moment and people didn't really pay attention to him. And, and he went on a little victory lap tour <laughs> when it was clear that inflation was a real problem. Uh -huh. So just explain a little bit who Larry is and, and what he's been saying. Larry is you know, the only one-named economist in the United States. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you just say Larry to your econ nerd friends, they're like, oh, yeah, that guy. You know, he's the former Clinton administration treasury secretary, former advisor to President Obama, always been known as something of a gadfly. And, um, you know, he is loathed by the left for his moderate politics. And he's sort of ever since he predicted that Biden's uh, American Rescue Plan would lead to a massive surge of inflation. Uh, he has been treated as sort of like the seer of the Biden era economy. 
So when he saw Jerome Powell give this press conference, have this meeting where he jacked up interest rates and said, hey, you know, we'll have like 4.1% unemployment. What did Larry think of that? And we should say you spoke to Larry. I did. Yeah, I, had, I finally had a chat with him after writing about him for long enough. We finally talked. I don't think he has any idea who I am, even though he's like responded to articles of mine. I think he has no clue. <laughs> you know, he's been he's he's spent most of the past year kind of, you know, criticizing the Fed and and saying it's been moving too slowly. You're subtweeting the Biden administration. They're not even subtweeting. Sometimes just tweeting, sometimes adding. Um, But like, you know, he's <laughs> more recently has been applauding the Fed's more aggressive moves. However, he kind of looked at their projections about how much unemployment it would take in order to uh, bring down inflation. And so he did his calculation and he said, we need five years of unemployment above 5% to contain inflation. In other words, we need two years of 7.5% unemployment or five years of 6% unemployment or one year of 10% unemployment. Ouch. I mean, like, that's going to hurt. Right, exactly. So he's like, either we need kind of high unemployment for a while or really severe unemployment for one year to whip this inflation problem. They're not like, they're not crazy numbers, right? I don't necessarily agree with every word of it, but like, or I wouldn't take it as gospel, but like, it's, again, it's not crazy. You're saying this is a reasonable timeline to go down. So, like, to to be a real dork, like, if we're talking about the Marvel multiverse, it's not like right. a crazy zombie <laughs> planet with like doc, like with like three eyed Doctor Strange, but it, it, it's more like one of the Earths that kind of looks like our Earth. Like, it's it's definitely not, and it might even be our Earth. Like, it, you, it's like not like totally out there. I think the thing that tweaked me when I read what Summers was saying about how much unemployment we needed to fix the economy here. Yeah. Is that, you know, when he's talking about 5% unemployment or 10% unemployment, he is not talking about CEOs being laid off. He is not talking about people like him having a spot of trouble. He's talking about the people who are always on the bad end of the stick, getting more bad end of the stick, very cavalierly. And it's like 10 million jobs, right? And I think he would say, I think, you know, I didn't pose this question to him directly. But I, I think he would say it's the he's been the opposite of cavalier about it. Um, because like if you if you kind of I'm gonna be like the devil's advocate or Larry's advocate here, right? I appreciate that. <laughs> Which is not to say he's the devil. There are people who think he's the <laughs> devil. I'm not one of them. He would say that back in early 2021, he was trying to ring the alarm about inflation. And at that time, if you look at his comments, he was very specifically saying if inflation gets out of control, the Fed will not be able to bring it back down without a recession. It will not have the power to do so. And so he would he would probably tell you, he's like, yeah, I tried to warn you all and you didn't listen. And now exactly the bad thing I thought might happen is happening. So what happens now? When's the next Fed meeting? They're going to be meeting in July. Do you think they're going to hike interest rates again? They're probably going to keep hiking rates for a little bit. Um, the question is, you know, how soon do they let up? And what does that mean for consumers? If you're trying to buy something big, like a house, like a car. Yeah, I mean, your mortgage is getting more expensive. Like, that's the mortgage rates are going up. So I guess just know the Fed may be forcing you to sit on your hands here. And that's the point. Exactly. Like, they don't want everyone buying houses right now. Like, we just had this crazy housing bubble. They always say, you know, the Fed's job is to kind of take away the punch bowl before the party really gets started. Like, that's (laughs) the old dictum. Um, and now they're like, well, the party's been going for a while. We're getting this punch bowl. Like we are we are finally we're going to wrestle this punch bowl 
out of your hands. We don't care if it spills everywhere and gets the carpet, you know, dyed red. We're getting the punch away from this party. Jordan Weissman, always a joy to have you on, even when you're talking about how the economy is like cruising to a rough landing. Thanks for having me on. Jordan Weissman is a senior editor and writer at Slate. He is focused on economics, politics, and public policy. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting a ton of help right now from Anna Rubinova, Anna Phillips, and Jared Downing. We're led by Joanne Levine and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'm going to hand things off to the What Next TBD crew for now, but I'll catch you back here on Monday. I barely know where I am right now. Like, you're dealing... This is... This is... This is like the manic macro hour with Jordan Weissman, your underslept new parent. Like, it was just never... Like, like up all night. Like, there's just nothing... There's... I'm, I'm barely holding together here. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money.